All right, Justin, sing me a song that has completely nonsensical lyrics to it because it was originally written in a foreign language but was translated to English. <laughs> Why do you always pick the hardest things? Have you ever heard that Here Come the Alex song? I think it's a, it might be a German song. Isn't that a Rammstein song? Yeah, yeah. Hey, 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 here come Dalex. Barangov for Shadahara Show. Or whatever, yeah. And there's a translation of it in Guitar Hero that sucks. It's just better to listen to the German one by them. Well, all right, there we go. I guess that counts. I don't think it's Here Comes Alex. I don't think that's the actual name of the song, is it? Here Comes Alex? That's not it? I don't think it's Alex. Are you saying Alex like A-L-E-X? Yes. I don't think that's it. At least not in German. It comes up like that when you look it up. Here comes Alex. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, but it's a different band. I'm sorry. It's Die Toten Hosen. That's the band, not Ramstein. Ramstein is Du Hasmisch. Du, Du Hast. Du Hasmisch. That's what you're thinking about. Yeah, but. But what I'm talking about is Die Toten Hosen. I know Ramstein. I was an angsty white kid. I know their songs, <laughs> but I just, I didn't, I thought they did something like that. Oh, well, yeah. they might, they might have. I do hate that. Everybody loves do Hostmish. It's such a little whiny bitch song. <laughs> I mean, the whole point of the song is it's this guy saying you, you hate, you hate me. It's like the informal translation is my vague recollection, uh, vague recollection of, taking you know three years of german and being president of the german honor society and just sucking in general at german altogether even though i took it for three years in high school is like that's the informal translation because like the formal translation would be you have me but it's supposed to be like the informal version of which would be you hate me which just that's such an emo song it's this guy screaming that some girl hates him <laughs> but it is catchy though i mean it's sure I think it's catchy I don't know. I or whatever they say. Target. And then he starts going, nine. That part is cool. Nine. I think it's tight. I don't know. I think I just grew out of Rammstein and don't care anymore. So, yeah, who knows? Who even knows anymore? But, yeah, anyway, I guess let's move on to the episode. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and I'm joined by Justin, as we are doing a different kind of bonus episode for you guys. This is going to be kind of like a on-and-off-again mini-series type of thing we're going to be doing. With the, with the whole point being is to convince me that anime is worth watching, because I am notoriously known for just hating anime. So our first two episodes of this are planned out. And But after that, we will be looking for listener suggestions of different animes for me and Justin to watch, which there's a chance Justin might have already seen some of these because he is actually a fan. And the whole idea is to, you know, expose me to different kinds. And so then that way, maybe, just maybe, I might change my mind on anime. 
but it won't be just that simple where it's just, oh, I'll suggest this, you know, 10 season anime epic to Sterling because he'll have to watch 10 seasons of it. And even if he hates it, I made him watch 10 seasons of something. No, no, no. Outside of today's <laughs> episode where I watched three seasons of a show because Justin recommended it, you don't get an entire series to change my mind on something unless it's like a short series. If it's like a, you know, a mini series or something like that, we're going to go to where you get one season of something that changed my mind. So you have to pick the best season. It doesn't have to be season one of something. It can be like season five, something like that. But that's all I'm going to watch is that. So, uh, uh, Justin, just name some other, uh, random anime. Let's go with, uh, we'll go with cowboy bebop. All right. Cowboy bebop. So if you think Cowboy Bebop can change my mind and you're like, season five is the best, you have to say season five Cowboy Bebop, not Cowboy Bebop. I'm not going to watch all of it. I don't even know if there is five seasons of it. I'm just saying random shit, but it's a well to be just to be accurate. It's really just I guess technically it's just one season. It's kind of one of those series where it was just 25 episodes and it ended. So that's oh, okay. pretty much what well, it then, is. Well, then yeah. I would watch all that. If it's, you know, one season, I'll watch it. All right, so let's, uh, okay. let, let's go Dragon Ball Z. Because isn't there no less than 95 seasons of that at this point? Yeah, pretty much. And that's not even if you get into the original Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball GT, the Grand Tour. Exactly. That's the, those, they, all, they all have multiple seasons themselves. And that's not even included Z, man. So, yeah, that would be crazy to make you watch all that. Yeah, well, no, don't get it wrong. Some people, somebody would try to make me. But you would get one season of Dragon Ball Z. So you pick one season, and that's all I watch to try to change my mind. Now, also with that, don't uh, don't recommend a Studio Ghibli. Isn't that how you say it? Isn't it Ghibli? Ghibli? Yes, you are correct. All right, don't suggest one of those. And the only reason why I'm saying that, it's not out of any sort of malice or anything like that. It's just because I've already seen a lot of them. I actually have no problems with those. Uh. Most of my issues that I do have with anime in general don't apply to those. And so I, I have seen a lot. So let's just not waste anybody's time and don't recommend those because that's not the point of this. Also, just for everybody's sake, don't recommend Akira. I've already seen Akira. I've seen Akira multiple times. I own Akira. There's no point in recommending it to me. We're not going to do, well, I mean, I'm not opposed to doing an episode on Akira, but just don't sit there and think that's going to change my mind because I've got no problems with Akira and I still have problems with anime. So let's not even bother. Let's just, you know, make it simple for everybody. Just don't even bother. But to start off today, we are doing an episode on all three seasons of Castlevania. Because that's what Justin recommended that we, I should watch uh, when we were doing this. And uh, so to start us off, I guess Justin, uh, you know, we'll kind of do this a little bit like our normal spoiler or our normal reviews. So what's your non-spoiler take on the first three seasons of Castlevania? Okay, well, I think that I need to preface this with the fact that um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm biased as hell towards this series. Uh, Castlevania, and and for good reason, uh, Castlevania is one of my all-time favorite video game series. So going into this, I was one of those people just really rooting for this to be good. And given the track record of adaptations to video games, uh, that's not good <laughs> though. Uh, here lately, 
we might be on a video game movie renaissance. <laughs> I might be able to argue that at the moment, but uh, another subject for another time. But um, but but when it comes to Castlevania, man, I've grown up playing all of the classic games. I've played every single one that came out on the original NES. Of course, I played Castlevania Symphony of the Night, the one that stars Alucard that came out on PlayStation. Uh, Super Castlevania 4, I'm kind of going backwards and forwards here, but Super Castlevania 4 on Super Nintendo is one of my all-time favorite Super Nintendo game, really any console game. Uh, I've even played some of the handheld Castlevanias uh, that came out on the DS and the Game Boy Advance and all of that. Circle of the Moon, Lament of Innocence, Harmony of Dissonance, Order of Ecclesia. See, I know the names. See, that's what kind of fan I am. Uh, really, the only Castlevanias that I really haven't played are just some of those later ones that came to like PlayStation 3 and stuff like that, or, or maybe it was 2, but there's like Castlevania Curse of Darkness, and it was like 3D and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of those 3D ones, I wasn't a big fan of, so I skipped a lot of those, but the main, but, but the main ones, the 2D ones, I absolutely love them. So going into this, when I found out that Castlevania was going to be like a, an, an anime style a cartoon series, uh, I got excited for it. And I was really hoping that this would be good, but I was nervous and I, I didn't, I wasn't really sure what this was going to be. And I was just like, please just be kind of good. At least just don't be garbage. Please don't ruin my Castlevania. That was kind of my attitude going into this. And I must say, just to give like a non-spoiler review, I am impressed to no end with this series. I think that this is the best video game adaptation that anyone has ever created ever. I, I don't care what you're talking about. The first Mortal Kombat movie, Street Fighter, the animated movie, Sonic, Detective Pikachu, whatever you're talking about, whatever, you know, whatever content youtube created content whatever content you are talking about that is based on a video game this is what all of those aspire to be this is absolutely a fantastic series the animation is crisp it's beautiful it's wonderful all of the voice acting which i'm sure we'll get into it more specifically is just great i love every single voice actor there are just some some of their voices i just love hearing them because of just what they put into these characters the 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 effort that went into this and sterling and i have talked a lot on other podcasts about uh, about movies and series or whatever it is being ambitious and how you can feel that it's palpable. You can tell when an effort is given into a series and man, I can just feel the effort that, that the creators gave to this, the animators gave to this, the voice actors, there is just so much 
effort given when it comes to this series. They try to develop and make you care about just about every single character. They 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 make you at, le- at the very least understand their motivations and what they're doing. The character growth, I mean, there were characters that start off in this that I ha- I cared nothing about. And by the end of season three, I just, I'm intrigued by everyone's story. And, the, and on top of that, the last few things I'll say, just non-spoiler, because I got a bunch of specific things to say, but there are all kinds of homages to the game. The, 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 the series is not afraid to have blood, to have guts, to have gore, to have great fight scenes and stuff like that. And it's not afraid to be adult, man. There's even sex in this. There's even uh, things that happen about people's sexuality and all of that kind of stuff. It's got all of that stuff. There's got relationships. It's got manipulation. There's politics in this. Like everything that you could want in this story is there. And the thing is, is that they just went above and beyond uh to make this something special. And I just can't appreciate the effort that was given to this series enough. Well, Justin, to me, I do feel like you cheated a little bit on this one. While this is an anime style, not actually anime. This isn't from Japan. It's just stylized uh, with the animation style from Japan. Everything else about it is European or, or American. But I guess if... You're going to sway me. You might as well do something like this, which is like a bridge between the two. And, you know, try to use that to ease my way into it. Because I was going to ask you that, too. Like, do do you feel this is a good maybe this is a question for later. Or maybe you were going to say it. But do you feel that this is a good like gateway for somebody? You know, maybe you can answer it later, but. Would you show somebody this who maybe is apprehensive about getting into anime and stuff like that? Um, yeah. And I think that's what kind of made it better for me, though, was that some of my issues with anime and I and, and I know I use that in a generalization. I don't necessarily mean it as a generalization, but for the most part, there is a lot of my the things I have problems with in anime in all sorts in all different kinds of anime whether it's adult oriented or kid oriented or something like that i've got weird issues with it because there are things that just will happen and it instantly detracts from my ability to enjoy what's going on like even if it's a kid's show one stereotypical character in anime is the perverted old man and he exists in kid shows and adult ones (laughs) he's he's in all of them there's the perverted old man who always does something, he gets caught, and he gets that little sweat drop in his face, turns red, he goes, like, that character drives me fucking nuts. (laughs) And, I mean, maybe that is a cultural difference. You know, maybe maybe in Japan, that's purely seen as comedic. Or it's just, maybe there's just something I'm missing. I'm 100% willing to accept that. It's just, for me, it's such a jarring, pointless, terrible character. That just always exists. And it's just every time I see that character, I'm like, oh, that's the character. Like before they even do the perverted old man thing, I know the perverted old man character when I see it. Like, yep, that's going to be the pervert. And of course, he always ends up looking at like up some like 
you know, 14 year old skirt at some point and then gets caught and he gets embarrassed by it. Like, it's just, I'm so fucking tired of seeing that character. And, and like I said, I know he doesn't really exist in all anime, but in my head, it's just that character exists too much. I don't want to have to sit there and hunt and peck through different animes to just avoid that character. Like, why can't they just avoid using that character? It drives me nuts. That is the worst. Like, you could say whatever you want about cliches in American films and animation and stuff like that. That cliche, as far as on the, on the Japanese side is concerned, is played out beyond fucking belief. Like, I just don't understand. This is fucking 2020. How the fuck does that character still have a place in in children's shows nonetheless? My first <laughs> yeah. real experience with that character was from watching Dragon Ball Z on Toonami back in the day when I was a kid. Like, that character needs to go away. <laughs> Let's just be real. That character needs to stop existing. And there's other examples of it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that for our next episode because I've already watched what we're doing for our next episode. And I feel like the people that suggested that to me, I mentally worry about their health. Or I, I worry about their mental health. Because they knew my issues with anime and they suggested that to me and I watched it and I went, that has no less than 7,000 examples of everything I hate each. Why the fuck would you suggest that to me? And it makes me kind of wonder where does that character come from? Because I'm not really a, well, not really is putting it lightly. I'm not a fan of that type of character either and it does seem very prevalent especially like when you look at animes from the 80s and 90s so like your dragon ball z's your naruto's your uh sailor moon and stuff like that like that character does show up a lot and it does make me wonder where does that come from what inspired that is that just i now i know that the, that the, in the japanese culture there are a lot of things like they they're kind of a sexually repressed people and i know that like there are things like in their culture um that are kind of weird like that just weird fetishes and different things like that or at least maybe i think they're weird i'm i don't live over there but they're different from kind of some of the things we have over here over here something like that like you know looking under a 50 year old skirt is uh that's like you know over here that's a big red flag like uh this guy could be a rapist this guy could be doing something you know a pervert is not anything funny or entertaining over here or i hope not i mean not in any circles i'm in you know but not anymore because if you look at our 80s teen comedies 80s 90s early 2000s teen comedies hey no, that character is all over the damn place. Maybe you're right. Maybe I just have been blind to that. Maybe maybe if I really do some research. Look at the character, like Jason Biggs' character from American Pie. I <laughs> mean, he's not the old man pervert, but I'm just talking about the pervert characters for like being the, the comedic relief. Okay, I got you. I, I, I get that. I get that. But I'm talking about like pervert that likes underage <laughs> well or you know you're you're absolutely right there it's just we in america we don't necessarily have that part in our tv shows but we have the joke in the family there's always the weird uncle that is true that's what that's that would be our equivalent that perverted uncle 
Yeah. Don't leave the kids alone with the uncle. Yeah. And you're right. It's stuff like that is said. So matter of fact, and it is kind of said as a laugh, but yeah, that's probably our equivalent, huh? Is the pervy uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. You know, whereas that exists just in conversation and stuff like that. And I'm sure there's versions of that in movies, you know, but it's not all over our children's shows. Yeah. It's not there. Like you don't have the creepy uncle on Barney. (laughs) I mean, let's let's get a little older and say, you don't have the creepy uncle on Doug. True. Yeah. You don't have that. Yeah, that is true. I mean, but the weird thing I will say is we weirdly did grow up with cartoons that were hypersexual without knowing it. And I wonder if it's their version of doing the same thing. I mean, if you look at like Rocco's modern life or Ren and Stimpy, those were weirdly sexual. when We just didn't catch it. That's true. That's true. Or you look at any DreamWorks movie ever made other than How to Train Your Dragons because those are legitimately good films. But if you look at the rest of them, they've all got weird adult jokes that have zero place being in a kid's movie. I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. that's it. That maybe it's there is a cultural divide to where that's their equivalent of our stuff like that, of, you know, the small dick jokes in the first Shrek, you know, or the weird... American Beauty references in Madagascar. Maybe that's yeah. their version of that. And they just happen to do it in that way. And maybe that is a cultural divide. And, you know, maybe that's what I don't understand about that character is, you know, not being from that culture. But fuck, it's still so weird. Because <laughs> that's the only one they do. Like, at least in Ren and Stimpy and Rocco's Modern Life, they did different adult jokes that we just didn't get. You know, I think one of the jokes that they had in... uh Rocco's Modern Life, the, the the wife, Big Head, was a phone sex operator. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that they made like a, <laughs> and one of them was that they made a sex tape, you know, um, that the Big Heads made a sex tape. Uh, another random adult joke they had was that Heifer, I think he goes to something like a, a cow milking facility with the little cow milk things, you know, the machines that milk cows, and it goes and milks him. And he gets that like look on his face of, oh, yeah. And then you realize that when you're an adult, <laughs> oh, he's he is a cow, yes, but he's a bull. He doesn't have udders. That thing was sucking his dick. And you just don't realize <laughs> it as a kid. Like, okay. You know, or like Ren and Stimpy just weirdly having like sex jokes. And then when MTV took it over, dear God, they straight up had fucking on it whenever MTV took it over. Um, yeah, just all kinds of sexual stuff like powder toast, man. Hey, sit in between my butt cheeks or right? all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for all powder. I know, the the wonderful log toy was literally just a dick. I mean, <laughs> the log, the yeah. log song. Yeah, it's log, log. It's big. It's heavy. It's wood. Yeah, man. yeah. For all I know, it's better that's than some, bad. It's good. That's some big Peter North porn dick yeah it's better than bad it's good everyone exactly exactly (laughs) like i mean i mean maybe that's the difference maybe our creepy sexual cartoon humor just had more variety than theirs maybe if they just did maybe if they changed it up more it wouldn't bother me as much but it's always the perverted old man (laughs) anyway i need to get back to castlevania um yeah so just as far as this being like that stopgap or that bridge type of show uh, yeah, I, I would kind of say it would be that because it is very much in the animation style of anime, which 
for the most part, I have no problems with. Where I do have problems with, I will get into uh, in a second. But as far as just visually speaking, I don't have too many problems with it. Um, especially with what is considered adult anime, I don't have as many issues with that style more so. Like if it's something like a Pokemon or a Yu-Gi-Oh or a Dragon Ball Z, I'm not as much of a fan of that style. But when you get into something like a Gundam or a, you know Castlevania, where it's that just more refined art style. Yeah. I, I do, I do, I have zero problems with that. I do think it's nice. Um, but as far as like Castlevania goes, I did, I did enjoy it. I'm not a diehard Castlevania fan, like more like you or anything like that. I just, I played the fucking games. My knowledge of Castlevania is, uh, Dracula's the final boss and you're a guy with a fucking whip and random assorted holy accessories and you just go through killing monsters and shit till you get to Dracula. Uh, I didn't play any of them outside of the original, like I think first three, just 2d platformer versions, you know, outside of that, I don't remember playing any, I think I watched somebody play the Castlevania 64 once and that's it. I just watched somebody play that. Um, Well, thank heaven you didn't play that. So you also didn't, so you really didn't get to play like you played like you said, the 2d platformers, but none of the like Metroidvanias, which is kind of the phrase that's going around where you, you know, you've got all these floors and rooms and you're going through collecting items, never played any of those like symphony of the night or anything like that. As far as I remember, I played like NES and early super Nintendo ones and that's it. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, but even then, I haven't played any of them since then. You know what I mean? It's still been, what, 20-something years, really? Kind of, sort of, something like that? Yeah, it's been a long-ass time, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, because in my head, it's, oh, yeah, you're just, like, defeating shit with a whip. I don't, you know, like, it's it's still, you know, that most basic of, you know, summarizations of it is fresh in my head, I guess. Um, so, I, 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 I did like this for the most part. Um, I did like the voice casting. Um, I did appreciate him getting the morning star in season two. Cause that's, that's what you always wanted. You wanted the metal whip, you know, you didn't want, you didn't want the regular whip. Yep. You wanted the metal whip. Um, yep. you know, I, so I appreciate things like that. Um, some of the things that kind of drove me nuts a little bit is the fact that like, this is based in European mythology and it's supposed to be in Europe and all this other stuff. And yet Trevor Belmont is just st- weirdly magnificent at martial arts. I mean, he's doing that Jackie Chan shit when Jackie Chan has a rope, like whipping it around (laughs) himself and then just like throwing it at somebody and stuff like that. He's doing that shit with a whip. And I mean, that's it felt a little out of place and was a little jarring the first few times they did it. But I'm not going to lie. The more, more I saw it and stuff like that, the less I cared. You know, you get over that. Or I did. I got over that aspect of it. Um, I really, I really liked the relationship between Trevor and Cypher. I really liked their relationship together and their dynamic together. Yeah, I did too. And the whoever's writing the dialogue for them just did a great job. Well, and that's that's what I was going to bring up next is another thing that made this super easy to you know digestibility wise for me. And I don't know if it's all written by him, but I know at least the first season and I think the second season were written by him. Was it, it's written by Warren Ellis. And I mean, I know he wrote some in the third. I just don't know if it was all written by him. But it's written by Warren Ellis, who is one of my all-time favorite comic book writers. Um, as everybody should know by now with this podcast, I am like the world's biggest Moon Knight fan. And one of my favorite runs of Moon Knight 
were the six issues he did in like 2014. And and I, and, and Moon Knight's a character that goes back to 1980. I think technically 1978 if you include his first appearance in Werewolf by Night. But yeah, in 2014, Warren Ellis wrote six uh, issues of it, which is your typical story arc in comics is a six-issue arc. Um, 12 if it's the really big stuff. But a normal six-issue arc is your standard. And instead of writing one overarching narrative over six issues, Warren Ellis wrote five stories because issue one and issue six tie together. But two, three, four, five, all independent, just stories. Just one issue Moon Knight stories. And I fucking love every bit of it. I mean, there is one issue he did that openly rips off the raid, which is a fantastic movie if anybody hadn't watched it. Um, yes, I second that. But all it is is this gang of bad guys like kidnap somebody and the kidnapped person's on the top floor. And it's like a New York you know, apartment building, so it's got like 20-something floors. And all it is is Moon Knight going up floor by floor, beating the fuck out of people. And there is no dialogue for almost the entire issue of the comic. And it's fucking fantastic. It's just nonstop him beating the fuck out of people. And then there's like some dialogue at the end. Fucking great. Um, there's also an issue where there's this gang of ghost punks, like stereotypical 1980s mohawk leather jacket, tons of piercing punks. And they're ghosts and they're beating the fuck out of people. So Moon Knight <laughs> happens to find that he has like some Aztec ghost armor and he puts that on and it allows him to punch ghosts. So he beats the fuck out of these ghosts and it's amazing. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that is probably one of the single best issues of a comic I've ever read. Because it's just these ghosts and they're like, yeah, we're going to fuck this guy up again. And then he punches one of them and, they're, and the ghosts are like, oh no, he can punch us. And then he beats the fuck out of ghosts. Fucking classic. And that's, that's Warren Ellis. And it's, it's just fucking great. And so, like, I think that honestly is what was the easiest uh, transition for me when it comes to this whole thing was the fact that, you know, Warren Ellis wrote it. And I know, like, a lot of Warren Ellis comic books. You know what I mean? Like, I've read a lot of Warren Ellis's work. And so by just having that kind of be able to, like, balance it out a little bit, you know, kind of knowing his sensibilities and and how he writes things. It just kind of, I think that was what was the easiest kind of, of transition point was knowing his writing style and uh, just being able to relate to it in that way. Well, I mean, I definitely have to commend him then. And uh, the fact that you already kind of knew him and was familiar with this work but this honestly I think that the writing was so good in this that especially given the source material because like you said uh basically Castlevania is just Dracula is alive and he's terrorizing the town and he's posted up in Castlevania and one of the Belmonts who you know the generations of vampire hunters and now you're this one in this generation you're Simon this time you're Richter this time you're Trevor this time and now you got to go to the castle and defeat Dracula and that's pretty much the story of the games the fact that this that he took this and decided to make this a world building kind of project where you develop every single character like Dracula really stands out to me because 
to me, it would be so easy to just kind of have Dracula be a stereotypical evil Dracula. <laughs> and give me blood and that's all I want and everything like that. And then and his motivation is, well, he's Dracula. He wants to. It, you know, he he needs blood, so he's killing people and he wants to that's what he wants to do. And of course, you have to stop him because he's feeding on humans. It would be so easy to do that and still do this series and go, oh, it's anime, whatever. You know, we'll just have him be the simple Dracula. But what I loved about this was right away. It just wasn't what you were expecting. Like when you see Dracula and uh, his wife, Lisa, or what? eventually would be his wife but we don't know that at the moment but like that whole thing that whole dynamic and how she just kind of took him by surprise and was unexpected and kind of interesting and how that relationship kind of grows like all of that was a surprise but it was a pleasant surprise and I can just tell that this writer he just cared like there was so much care given to how each of these characters is written like all of their motivations you understand them why they're doing certain things and kind of this tragic story of why dracula is just like scorched earth on the on the rest of the world and everything all of it makes sense because of how well he wrote these characters and how much a care and attention to detail he had. So, I mean, now I'm a fan and I'm probably going to need to seek out more of this guy's stuff to read, because if this is how he develops Castlevania characters, then I want to see what he does with somebody like a Moon Knight or anybody else that he writes. Um, One of my favorite comics that he wrote, uh, outside of moon knight he wrote there's there's some characters in in marvel that are kind of lesser known and one of them is a character called Starbrand. and so warren ellis wrote a, a series back in 2006 i believe uh called new universal and it ultimately got canceled and that was really kind of sad but in that it was his take on on those the new universe characters that were you know written in like the seventies and shit. Uh, there was fantastic, uh, fantastic. Uh, what's it? Transmetropolitan. I know, you know that if you at least saw it, it's always got the bald guy with the spider tattoo on his head and he's got like glasses and one lens is green and one's red. Okay. Yes. That, that, that I think I have seen that or at least a picture of it or yes. something. I, that sounds familiar as hell. Yeah. That's, that's a Warren Ellis book. Um, he also wrote, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he wrote Iron Man Extremis. Uh, that was a series he did. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's such a unique writer. And I love just, I just love the way he tells a story. Um, and I think that really kind of helped with my enjoyment of this. Because he's got no problems going, I don't want to say non-conventional routes, but routes that make sense that just aren't typically done. You know, like you were saying with, you know what? I, I want to save this part actually because I'm going to get spoilery with what I'm going to say. So I guess overall, for the most part, I enjoyed uh, Castlevania, the animated series. I'll probably watch a season four if it comes out. Um, it just kind of lost me a little bit in the second to last episode of season three, and I will go into why and spoilers. But ooh, if that had happened earlier in the series, I would have abandoned it very quickly. Um, but it didn't, so I'll, I'll still give it a chance. Uh, 
So just real quick, Justin, what's your recommendation and score for the overall totality of the first three seasons of Dracula, or not Dracula, uh, Castlevania? Cool. Well, do I recommend it? Yes, yes, hell yes, I recommend this. Uh, This is, to me, on, on Netflix, this is one of the most enjoyable things I've watched on the, on the streaming app. So I can just say that right now. This is one of the most fun times I've had watching anything on Netflix. Anything out of all of it. It's it's got to be in my top uh man, maybe even top 5, but definitely top 10. Uh I recommend it, man, especially if you're like you said, uh like we said earlier, if you're a fan of anime or anything like that, well man, you got to see this cuz this is some of the best looking anime style of stuff you can find. If you are a person who's apprehensive about anime, and you're not sure, you find it, you think it's kind of interesting, but you're not sure, I think this is like a good gateway anime because there's enough American elements. It's not subtitled so you don't have to read it. You can it's got good voice actors, even some familiar voice actors. Um, I know I recognize one of the people and I'm, I'll have to get his name, but I know I recognized a couple of voices. Um, it's, and, and it's just a great story. The only thing I'll say is that this is not your, uh, child's, (laughs) uh, anime. This is, this has adult, it's very adult oriented. It has adult language. It has gore and blood and guts. I mean, oh my God, the way that people get killed in this, it's glorious to me, but I could see somebody if they're not old enough for this or whatever, might find it a little disturbing. And, uh, you know, the, and it's got sexual content. There's nudity. I mean, everything that you could possibly want in a vampire versus vampire hunter epic is in here. And it's very adult oriented. So I, I, I just want to put that little, uh, warning out there for those but i do recommend this um i really think that this series is awesome i I think it barely has any flaws honestly uh i'm gonna give it a pretty high score i'm going to give it 98 ciphers (laughs) using her eyes to split a, a witch wizard something or another in half as she thought she could run on her ice for a platform out of 100 i mean this is a badass series man and like i said it's the best video game adaptation of anything i've ever seen it was a vampire is what she split in half um but uh i do recommend this um for the most part it's good really have some serious issues at the end of season three though like if it wasn't for the end of season three, I would have actually given this like an 87. But the end of se- the second to last episode of season three makes this take a big hit. I give it a 76 morning star slashes causing bombastic explosions on night creatures or whatever the fuck they're called uh, out of 100. So I guess now into spoilers, <laughs> Justin. Yes. All right. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Dear God, why the fuck did they have to have weird cartoon sex at the fucking in the second to last episode of season three? They avoided it through what? There was eight episodes in season two. There was four in season one. This was the ninth episode of that. So they had gone 16. They had gone 20 episodes with no weird cartoon sex or nudity. 
And then they just shoved it all into episode nine of season three. And that made me so sad because the last thing I ever want to see is weird cartoon nudity. And this just had it in troves all in one fucking episode. And it made me super sad, like super sad. Like I said, I docked it a ton of points just for having one episode that had it because it's fucking weird. And especially in this one, because then it, 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 it goes super perverted with it, which is one of the issues I have with a lot of Japanese stuff is whenever it does uh, show sexuality or show anything of a sexual nature, they always take it to a weird, creepy nature. And that's what this one has when it has a fucking threesome with a brother and sister. And it's weird. And I did not like it at all. And I thought it was tight. I thought it was good stuff. That's not man. something you should say. You shouldn't say an, ins- like an, in- an incestual threesome was tight. <laughs> it made a lot of sense to me. It was great within the context of the story, I thought. I thought that it was great execution. All of that was just well executed, man. I get the, the way context. They did I get it. It doesn't mean I like it. It's creepy and weird that that brother and sister had that conversation of he's hiding something, but we need to give him a reward so we can find out what he's hiding. I know. Let's both bang him at the same time. Like, why does any family have that conversation ever? That's not a family conversation. That's not something that two family members need to have with each other. Unless they're family members because they are married to each other. Then I guess them banging makes a lot of sense. But like, it's just so weird and so jarring. And like I said, they went so long without it. So long. Because there's 22 episodes in this fucking series. And 21 of them don't have that shit. And they shove 21 episodes worth of it into fucking episode 21. And it's just so jarring to me. Because I was like, I don't need that in this. I don't. I don't need it in general. I find it weird every time it happens. But I just especially didn't need it in this. And just, I don't know. It rubbed me the wrong way. And it's and I'm, I'm completely hypocritical about it. I will 100% admit that. If this was live action and that happened... Wouldn't have bothered me one bit. If this was even just in a comic book, just on the page, it would not have bothered me at all. I've read, I've read Garth Enos as the boys having episode or having issues of comics filled with nothing but sex doesn't face me one bit, but the second you animate it and it's moving people instantly weirds me the fuck out and I don't like it. <laughs> Man, uh, I well, I don't know what to say to that. I mean, if it's just a thing you don't like, then, you know, there ain't no way I could convince you otherwise. But to me, it fits this kind of content, man. Like, any kind of Dracula stuff that I'm used to, Dracula vampires, that stuff has always kind of been... he's uh, he she whatever vampire you're talking about there they've always kind of been these sexual creatures they've always kind of been you say that to nosferatu they've always (laughs) to me most of the content that i've seen vampires are typically they're they're always like these sexual creatures man like it doesn't matter a lot of vampire series have this kind of stuff in them i mean like have those sexual sexual moments in them you know the biting on the neck the neck and stuff like that it's always kind of had that sort of element to it like it doesn't matter if you're watching true blood or you're watching something like bram strokers or you know a lot of vampire stuff i see 
always has that sexual element. So for me, it, it, I you know, it, it's no surprise that that was going to come into play here. It's typically something that follows those stories. Most of those stories have it in some sort of way, shape, form, or fashion. And so for me, I'm not looking at, oh, there's there's sexual content. I'm looking at, well, what purpose does it serve? How does it help the narrative? How does it help what happened with these characters and everything like that? And I thought, and it was just happened at such a great moment because the story of season three was reaching its metaphoric climax while you had characters reaching a literal climax. So I like kind of the juxtaposition there. I got what they were kind of going for with that. I got why things were happening the way they were happening, but man, but when you think about like the character Hector, for instance, and him kind of getting close to this vampire Lenore and her manipulating him and getting close to him and everything like that. And the dominance that she was exerting over him while having sex with him, it was haunting man. And the stuff that she was saying, tell me that you belong to me and tell me all of this, like just the, the, the grooming and the manipulation of it. Or then you have like Alucard on the other side of that. And I love how they did it with Alucard, though, because season three starts off with him making these dolls of Trevor and Cypher. So in season two, you know, they teamed up and they took down Dracula at the end of season two. So in season three, you know, uh, Alucard is kind of chilling in Castlevania by himself. And, you know, he's just alone with his thoughts because Trevor and Cypher are on adventures. So he misses them. He misses that camaraderie. He misses not being wanted or not being, you know, not being, being useful to people, not having people around. And then you have this brother and sister and they come and like, they, they seem like they need his help and they want to train and they want to learn. And he's and they're getting close to him. And you can just see kind of how they're sort of manipulating and getting closer and closer to him until they catch him in this moment. And they're, having sex with them. And to be fair, I don't think there was ever a point where the brother and sister were fucking each other. They were both fucking him is what I saw now, but not saying that makes it better or worse, but that, but let's just say what it was. That's what was actually happening. It was a brother and sister fucking a la carte. But what really got me though, was there's a part in there where he sheds a tear like he cries because he just all that isolation. He was missing his friends. Here comes two people that kind of in a way remind him of them. And there, you know, and he's having this kind of intimate moment with these people and he's crying because it was, that was what he wanted, man. Like we saw ever since the beginning of the episode, that's what he wanted. And then when they kind of, 
turned the the hooks on him and they put him in those little magical restraints or whatever they were and you find out that they had turned on him like even if you saw that turn coming because they kind of give you clues with some of the conversations that the brother and sister are having it did seem like they were up to something but man it was heartbreaking man and then there's this scene afterwards where after Alucard avoids danger or whatever is able to kill them with his little floating sword and that's totally from symphony of the night video game so that's badass but the scene where he's laying on like that bloody cloak and he almost is in the fetal position like he had been violated that was man i felt for him man and to me that's why this that sex scene was effective because when you get to the end result i just don't know how you don't feel for alucard in that situation oh i gave zero fucks just none whenever he's sitting there and he's crying i was like dude learn how to get some man you don't sit there and cry because you're getting laid but it's been like a month he's been alone for a month we're in the middle of a quarantine this motherfucker's been alone for a month and he cries because he's getting some fucking sex calm the fuck down that's just downright fucking ridiculous well, he had also been in a coffin. It wasn't like he just was woke up and was on that, you know, he had also been injured. This this is a man who was injured for a long time, was in a coffin. Then this is a guy who had to kill his father and his mother was burned at the stake. Alucard, this is an Alucard that has hella problems. I don't think it's as minimal as, oh, he was just sitting there for a month. I, I think that's kind of undermining this and the character's entire journey over three seasons. So when you add all that together, you could see that what, you know, it's the, this is very good at showing that entire internal struggle and what he's going through and what uh, he's trying to do. I think it's just apparent, man, that this is a person with a ton of problems, man. And just a moment of intimacy or camaraderie or feeling wanted and needed and all of that stuff. I, I think they did enough in seasons one and two to justify where he was by season three. I thought it was enough. Man, I'm just, <laughs> I just don't give a fuck. It's still weird that he cries during sex. I mean, I got you. <laughs> I just, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I, I get all what you're saying, but it's just weird. Cause it's just, it was weepy tears. It wasn't even like a single tear drop or anything like that. It was like those long weepy trails of it. This motherfucker is straight up bawling while getting some. He was so happy, man. He was that happy. Tears of joy, dude. Tears of freaking joy. Man, that's when you snap one off by yourself. Come on, man. Like, you shouldn't be getting <laughs> to that damn point. What the fuck is wrong with you? That's all I'm saying. Um, but yeah, that was just that that whole that whole episode was incredibly jarring when, especially when you had that one other guy, that other forger who was running around that town of like possessed people isaac yeah, yeah isaac i fucking loved that part of it like those scenes i loved and i was it was really really terrible for me when it was like intercrossing uh the sex scenes with that shit i was like no just stay focused on one i'm tired of the shit i just couldn't do it 
It was really driving me nuts. Like I said, if this had happened earlier in the series, I would have said, fuck off, Justin. I'm not watching the rest of the shit. So, I mean, I guess it's a good thing that they waited all that time to finally do the one thing that I can't stand more than anything, you know, in it. <laughs> so, I mean, so I was more or less, I was, I was more invested by the time that it punched me in the face with its obscene bullshit. But... And now I'm right there with you though, with with you know the vampires and stuff like that. There, there, there being that inherent sexuality to being a vampire and stuff like that. Because, dude, if this was an episode of True Blood, it wouldn't have bothered me one bit. Because I watched all of True Blood. Sadly, I watched all of True Blood. Those last few seasons were rough as fuck. But yeah, I watched all of True Blood, so I'm used to some straight up weird ass vampire fucking. Not used to any animated fucking though. I can't take it. I'm so glad that <laughs> when Trevor and Cypher fucked, they don't show it. They just showed them cuddling in bed afterwards. I can accept that. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have sexual lives. I'm trying to be somewhat sex positive, but I don't want to see it. So I'm slightly sex negative, at least when it comes to cartoons. I don't want to see my cartoons fuck, Justin. <laughs> um, I say that like, <laughs> like this is, you know, fucking like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or some shit. Like, <laughs> It's, it's not the same. It's obviously not. Um, I don't know. That was just, that was one of the big things that really fucked me up with this. Um, like I said, I, like I said earlier, I did have some weird issues when it came to the weird blending of a European story with obviously Asian action sequences. And that's just something that bothers me in any media though. Like I kind of hate it whenever, you know, you've got a medieval movie and then there's some motherfucker that knows martial arts and you're just like, no, that's not how this works. Like that's not reality. Um, but I guess the sensibilities with the show allow for that to happen, I guess in the, in a right, in the right way to where, like I said, by the end of season three, that aspect stopped bothering me as much, um, to go into some of the more story specifics and stuff like that with this, I thought it was incredibly ballsy to kill off Dracula in the end of season two. Uh, I don't think he's, yeah. I don't think he's dead, dead. I think he'll be back depending on how many episodes or how many seasons Netflix lets this thing go. Uh, I do think that Dracula will be back, but I, I, I respect that this was able to tell a complete story in seasons one and two, which is, it's like 12 episodes total and they're half hour each too. So in like, you know, a little under six hours, this thing was able to tell a complete overarching narrative like that. I thought it did a very good job with that. And then the way it pivoted in season three, I, for the most part, am okay with. Um, I didn't like the way they handled the judge in this, where we kind of saw some nefarious aspects of him or some stuff that just didn't seem right. And then you find out at the end that he was kind of pulling a, uh, oh, what's that movie called? A Hot Fuzz the whole time? Where anybody that was acting up in his town, he would just kill. <laughs> yeah. Especially if they were children, he would just kill. I'm like, how many children died in this fucking town? Like, who the fuck would live in that town still? Who the fuck would not believe that that town's not cursed? Because children just keep disappearing in this fucking town. And so I, I found that a little weird that they did that. And then... All it was was there was a weird scene where he tells the little boy to go get an apple. And then the next scene you see him, he's wiping his hands rushedly. And then you're just like, oh, that's weird. And then all of a sudden, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. He's dying and he says, burn my house. And then he tells this other guy to go, I don't know, 
run away through this apple orchard and that guy dies on spikes and they find him. And then all of a sudden they're just like, oh, I guess this judge was killing people. Now let's really burn down his house like we were already going to do anyway. But we're really going to burn it down now. I just didn't see the point in that. Like that narrative, that aspect of it didn't make sense to me. Like it just, every aspect of it kind of just seemed a little bit throwaway. Um, because there's no real payoff to it. They were going to burn down his house anyway. So why make them mad before they burn down the house? It just it That was a little nonsensical to me. Um, but I really loved the St. Germain story in season three. Uh, I liked that they didn't go uh, cliche with it because in that cli- uh, the, the cliche moment would be that when St. Germain's helping them and all this other stuff, and then he betrays them to get into that gateway to go see his yeah. wife or whatever. They didn't do that. And I completely appreciate that because that's all I was expecting was St. Germain to fuck them over. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised that that didn't happen. And it really works because to me, that is the more authentic story is what they showed in, in, in the show was the more authentic and real version of that story to where you didn't need to artificially create more obstacles because they were already fighting a mega powered up infinite soul demon. You don't need more obstacles to that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I appreciate that they didn't do that. And I appreciated how they kind of tied his story together, that he was able to help them slash simultaneously get his goal. I thought that's just a nice little touch that, you know, for him, it's win-win. It might seem like an L because for all intents and purposes, the fucker kind of committed suicide, but he's in whatever dimension or whatever with that woman on the stairs. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, that's just a nice little note. Um, those scenes were a little jarring though, when he was going through that infinite corridor, when they would kind of superimpose a lot of the computer effects over the hand-drawn animation. Oh yeah. That was a little jarring for me. I didn't, I didn't quite like it. Uh, I understand why they were doing it because they were showing like one of them was like a mech, you know? So I understand they wanted it to have a different look and all this other stuff, but it was still just, oh, it was a little jarring visually speaking. Because it wasn't that good of computer animation either, though. You know, that was, it reminded me a lot of Reboot. Just slightly not as jagged. It was a, it was a softer, more curved version of a Reboot animation. And uh, so yeah, that, yeah, I didn't like that. Uh, narratively, I understood why it was there. Visually, I didn't know. No, no, no boy no on that. Um, but I, I really loved the story arc with the, the Priori and those monks and stuff. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. I yeah. really and like it was, the way uh, they did that. And, and it's also kind of indicative of the games, like, uh, because, yeah, you know, we know that, like you said, that Dracula eventually does have to come back. And a lot of times in the video games, after you kill him, that's how he's able to come back all these generations later is because you have these cult, this cult of people who worship him and they find some way to bring him back. And and that's kind of how Dracula usually does get back. So I loved all of that. I loved how it kind of started as kind of just this murder mystery. They were Cypher and Bell and Trevor were like fish out of water, so to speak, with this town and everything. And I like the St. Germain character, too. He had some great lines and some great interactions when him and Cypher got to interact. 
that was just great because they're both kind of those smart ass kind of quippy characters. So when they had that conversation back and forth, um, that that was cool. I thought that that was really good. And yeah, I appreciated that uh, that these cult people trying to bring back Dracula. I thought that all of that. Uh, was uh, effective. I, I really thought that that was a very good um, storyline. One of my favorite ones of here. And that's what I loved about it. Like they split all these characters up, but I just found every story to be interesting in its own way. And every story, I think, except for maybe Isaac's, ends in this tragic sort of way. And I guess that's what I interpreted the whole judge thing as, you know, they, they spent all this time trying to thinking that this cult people were the threat and Dracula's the threat. And we got to get rid of the night creatures and all of this stuff. And then here's a human being just, just as evil as any of those things. And it was kind of just happening right under their nose. So I just think it's just one of those kinds of things that they like to do and stuff like this, where, you know, just like in the walking dead, what you, you know, uh, kill the dead, but fear the living. It's that kind of thing. The worst people are sometimes not even the, the worst things are not even really the monsters. Sometimes it's the people, you know? So I don't know that that's kind of, I guess how I took that part of it, but no, uh, but, but overall, even though we may disagree on that aspect of it, I totally agree with you with the whole cult storyline because I thought Dracula was coming back and I like the little swerve where he almost gets back but doesn't but you just get the feeling that maybe he saw enough to where he'll figure out a way to get back or you know now St. Germain is there who knows maybe Dracula can find him I mean you just don't know but yeah that was a great tease for trying to get Dracula back you know no, I, I, I do agree with you with that aspect of that, you know, humanity can still be a monster aspect of it. I just wish there was a confrontational point with it. You know what I mean? Like if the the judge guy or whatever had lived and then they caught him. You know what I mean? I get that. Just it being I get that. after the fact and it being a non-confrontational determination of his evil just felt a little weird, you know, because they were just like, oh, he was so bad. I'm going to extra explode his house now. When they were there to burn it anyway, like, which I guess that was the weird medieval way of like clearing somebody's browser history. Like, oh, I'm dying. Go burn down my house. Don't let people know what I was doing. Go burn it. Like it was that weird version of that. And like, I just wish there was a confrontation with it. Like I said, if the judge had lived and then they found out about it, like say they were leaving town and they were like, oh, look, this guy is in this weird pit. With all these spikes. Oh, look at all those weird children's skulls. Oh, let's go back and tell the judge that this guy actually died. And then they find him in that room with the kid's shoes. And Cypher's like, you know what? Fuck this shit. And burns down the house with him in it. Then I would have like liked that story more. You know? It's just with him being dead. And then, like I said, they were like, you know, visually speaking from that point on, she was just angrily burning down his house now. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. Weird. Like, it just felt a little off. Um, Unfinished. It yeah. felt unresolved to you because yeah. you didn't get that confrontation. I get that. I get that. But I, you know, and in a way, I like what makes me kind of excited for a season four is that you're going to have this stuff with Carmela 
and her army of vampires and all this other shit and the, the shit they're going to do there. But I still feel like they're going to figure out a way to tie Dracula into it, even if he's not back yet, kind of like they did in this. Dracula wasn't the main villain of this season, but Dracula was the motivation of the season still, of the enemies of the season. So I still feel like Dracula will still have serve a purpose in season four, even if he's not in it. You know what I mean? Like, even yeah. if it's Isaac just trying to figure out a way to use his soul forging or whatever to bring Dracula back or something. You know what I mean? Just something. Yeah. That, you know, I think Dracula will be a motivation. I think Dracula, my prediction is Dracula will be, will be back at the last episode of season four. Not in a confrontational manner, not around Trevor or Alucard or Cypher, but he will be back in the world of the living at the end of season four, the very last episode. That'll be like the cliffhanger of season four. Well, Dracula will be back. I could see that. And yeah, and, and that's exactly what I was thinking too. I could see that. And like, that's what I was thinking too, as far as with Isaac. Like if anybody it has the motivation or the loyalty or everything to the motivation to bring Dracula back, it's him. I just feel like that's something that he could do. Or do they want us to think that and then maybe they kind of do something a little different here? Who knows? Like, but, but yeah, I could see, I could see those things happening. Yeah. I've got an interesting, I've got an interesting way of doing it. Have Hector be the one that brings him back. So then it creates this weird thing that Dracula is beholden to Hector because he forged him. But then Hector's beholden to those sisters because of that curse thing. But Dracula, or, but they're still beholden to Dracula because Dracula is the father of all vampires. Maybe it's that weird paper rock scissors aspect of it or something like that or maybe dracula Hmm. just like he's the one that resurrects dracula as a way of like a loophole around the curse and that's how he gets out from under the sisters huh yeah you know that'd be a way of doing it i think that'd be an interesting way of doing it like carmelo's about to win and all this other stuff and she's just debowing everybody and but hector figures out a way to like forge dracula back just an interesting way or just a thought you know what i mean yeah No, I could totally see it. And that's what is so cool about like going into season four, which I heard was green lit. So I believe they are working on season four. And I think that was the fastest green light. Like season three hasn't been out very long. And I remember the green light for season three took a while, but they've already green lit season four. So, I mean, it just speaks to the reception this is getting, but, uh, Yeah, I totally think that one of those things could happen. And that's the intriguing part, too, because you feel like Isaac is on this collision course with with Camilla and the other sisters. And you're just wondering who's going to come out on that thing. What's going to happen? What's going to be the result of that? And like Isaac, I'm really starting to like Isaac as a character and if I had to root for a side, I just, I, I want Isaac to win, man. I want him to beat them, but I don't know if that's really going to happen or anything like that. But I love this Isaac character and his journey this season to me was one of the best things about season three. And that conversation that he has with that forged creature um and the guy uh, who had lived, whose soul had lit, who he had lived at the time of Athens. And he was telling Isaac about how, 
you know, I got a second chance and how I gave up everybody and I, I gave up all of my friends and people and betrayed people to save my life. And I was killed anyway. And now I'm back again on this earth and I've got a chance to to, to make an impact again. And I'm uh, thank you for giving me this chance. That was chilling, man. Like that was a chilling conversation. But like. All the conversations Isaac had, or even that one he had with that like magician woman or whatever, and she was talking about how she had fended off that guy's magic for so long, and um, and and she kind of told him, "Look, you can get an army, but you're gonna have to defeat that guy." And then even that magician thing was cool with the whole crown of thorns mind control, which I don't think that that's a coincidence. The whole like Christian crown of thorns controlling these people's minds. That's gr- that's a great metaphor, man. That that that's just great symbolism and metaphor, I thought. So all of that was just so well executed with Isaac. Yeah, and I did and the funny thing is is I did not like him in season 2. I thought he was just a, you know, kind of a too simple of a character if you will. Yeah. Like and, a sacrificial lamb slave yeah. type of character, yeah. Like he was going to be the guy that was just going to sacrifice it all to save Dracula or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought too. And now just giving him that motivation of just going to rescue Dracula has added just this much needed spark that that character needed. You know, he just really yeah. feels like he has so much more depth now. Yeah. And then even like the the conflicted stuff, like when he has that conversation with that pirate and that pirate is like, look, man, I understand that you want to fulfill Dracula's mission and you want to get rid of all the people and end all the cruelty. But even that part where he was like, look, man, uh, but if you end all the cruelty, you also end all of the kindness. You end all of the good people, too. And he and then he like prove to him look man you've you on this trip alone you've received a gift you got this you got that and he said i mean yeah you could destroy everybody and that would be cool i guess but imagine if you taught them isaac imagine if you taught people kindness what you could do like the way you could change the world and just all these people getting him to think differently about what his purpose is like i just loved all of that you know I mean, I actually think that even if Isaac is the one to resurrect Dracula and all this other stuff, I think Isaac might be the one that kills him again. That would be cool, though. That would be tight. He learns that that route is not the way to go, you know, that, yeah, by ending humanity and ending the cruelty that is humanity, you end too much of the goodness, too. And is that a willing, like, is that a worthy sacrifice? Is, you know, ending cruelty worth it if you also end all kindness you know like you were saying and like the pirate was saying you know i think i think he'll learn that lesson that that's not an exact balance that leaves you with a deficit in the end you know yeah and then last but not least you got alucard i mean he put those he put that brother and sister on stakes like his father used to do i don't you know know what i mean he's to me the least interesting character of all of them I don't care about him. He cries during sex, Justin. 
I can't root for that character. Gotcha. But um, but I like the questions. Uh, but I like the questions that it raises. Like you know what I mean? Because at the end there, he put their bodies on stakes and had them outside the 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 castle. And that was something that his father had talked about doing, you know, how he used to do that and have this affinity. Uh, man, I just love Dracula. We didn't talk about him enough, man. And all the monologue, the great monologues he had throughout season two. But uh, that was interesting, too, I thought, to me, whenever he had them, their bodies out there. And that was just something like really more characteristic of his father and not them. And so, you know, it just leaves that lingering question, man. Is he turning for the worst and not the better? You know, it, they just I just love how they left every story with these questions and things you can look forward to to season four, you know. One thing I did think was funny about season one was when Dracula's wife gets burned at the stake for being a witch. And they're like, she married the devil. See, evil. So what does Dracula do? He comes to them as a skull in flames and then summons demons. I'm like, dude, all you did was make yourself look like the devil, bro. Like... <laughs> all he did was devil shit. I'm like, all you did was kind of prove them right, bro. Like, I get his motivations and all this other stuff, but from a purely optic standpoint, you did devil shit, bro. Like, that's all he did was devil shit. Just from an imagery standpoint. I'm like, man, all you're making these people think is, yep, we did the right thing. And I, I can't blame him. If some skull of fire started talking to me, I would think that's the devil or Ghost Rider. But I understand why they wouldn't think Ghost Rider. He wasn't around back then. But I'm just thinking Ghost Rider. Or I'm, I'm thinking the devil. And then when demons show up, I go, yeah, that's really some devil shit. And the devil must have really liked that witch. That's all I would be thinking if I were those regular town people. The devil must have really liked that witch we burned. Because the devil is really attacking the fuck out of us right now. <laughs> and then not to mention all the attacks that he was doing before that. I mean, they made no mistake about it. That 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 fool was awful prior to any of this. He was just killing and raiding and pillaging and doing just about everything that he wanted to do until he met her, you know, and then had grown kind of bored of it all. You know, he just kind of was just living and then until he met her. And that's what was cool about the story was that she actually was changing him, but it was almost too little too late. So I like the kind of the cyclical nature of that. He had already done so much horrible shit that people like the priest and stuff like that, though they weren't good people either. Uh, they already, you know, the town and everybody around had already derived this opinion of him based on the horrible things he had already done. And so even when he tried to change, even though he really was genuinely motivated to try to change and see the other side of humans and stuff like that, they burn his bridge between that sort of understanding of humanity, literally at the stake. So, I just thought that all of that was cool. But really, if you think about it, she died because of what he was, you know, and he's angry at the humans. But 
deep, but really it is his fault, so to speak. Now, he didn't tell them to burn her at the stake, but they're burning her at the stake as a direct result of her association with him. So in a way, it is his fault, you know, like indirectly. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. But I mean, it's one of those things where it's like it is a tragic motivation to his his story arc. But at the same time, it's slightly a justified thing, like not against her, but against him. You know what I mean? Like you said, they burned her at the stake because he was a demonic vampire prick. Like, which I get if because he was he was literally a monster yeah. up until her. And so how are they going to know he's not a monster anymore? He should have exactly. sent everybody a fruit basket or something. Letting <laughs> them know that he was nice now. He's like, hey guys, I know I was a vampire prick for a while, but I'm not anymore. Here's a nice uh, assortment of fresh fruits. And this is like Middle Ages fucking europe they'd have been like oh my god what are these things this guy's incredible because we would not have access to this stuff because this isn't now i think you would have won him over maybe so but you would also think and this is why the priest is a son of a bitch which i love that scene where the demon is confronts him and goes man we're only here because you're here and he was like man you can't be in the church god is in the church and he went man god isn't here man this is just a fucking box that i that that was great man but this is why the priest and the townspeople are kinds of sons of bitches too. Dracula did in his flaming hellfire ghost rider impression did say, you got one year to pack your shit and get out of here. You got one year and I'm destroying this town. This town is going to be destroyed because you took her. I'm destroying your town. You're going to have to move somewhere else and you got one year to do it. And they didn't move. You know, they didn't move for whatever reason, whether it was whether it was the priest thinking, oh, God will protect us or whether it was regardless of reasons. He gave him a year, man, and my ass would have moved. I'm okay. sorry. If okay. I saw a flame and skull, I would have moved. But just <laughs> that doesn't make them sons of bitches. Like <laughs> that doesn't make them assholes because they didn't move. Like, well, I, well, like I said, lives. the priest, well, like yes. I said, the priest, you know, priest, that, yes. that that's why, you know, because a lot of that was them going was him going, oh, God will protect us. You people don't need to go anywhere. But uh, my ass would have left. So no, I, I, I will that. give Dracula that, you know. But what if what if they also thought that that was a devil scheme? Because, like I said, he totally looked like the devil. And what if they were like oh no, the devil's just waiting outside the walls and if we try to leave, he's just going to kill us that way. If we stay here, we're fine. He's trying to trick us because the devil's the lord of lies. The devil's a liar. Yeah, maybe See? so. <laughs> if he if he came to him not looking like the devil, maybe they would have believed him more. But he came looking like the prince of lies. Just saying. It's kind of hard to believe somebody whose nickname is the lord of lies. And that's what he looked like, you know? So I'm just, I'm throwing that out there. Maybe that's why they didn't leave. But no, I do agree with you. I really loved that part with the priest when that demon's inside. And he also says, God doesn't love you anymore, but we love you. You're the reason why we're here. <laughs> yeah. I was like, damn. <laughs> damn. damn. Then he said, let me kiss you. And he ate half of his face off. And oh my God, man, like the way that people get murked in this shit, man. The, 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 the Merco meter. If there was a Merco meter, 
it would just be full. It would just overflow and just explode at the top of the meter. Okay, like okay. the way that people get, the way that people get deboed in this man is glorious, man. Get split Calm in half. down. Calm Throats down. ripped out. This it's isn't great. John Wick. Okay. <laughs> this is good. It's good. It's got some good kills in it. But calm down. This is not John Wick caliber awesomeness, okay? It's, it's close. It's it's just it's about not there. Close. It's, it's close. It's not close at all. Because one nah, is just people close. drawing shit. And the other is real people doing shit. So there's a big difference between people actually doing shit and... And, you know, people drawing some shit. Well, that's a different context, though. I'm just talking about, like, the level of cool kills and, like, the the goriness of it and stuff like that. Like, I, I think it's it's right up there as far as, like, people getting killed and, like, how they get killed and the ways that they get killed. I mean, I, there's just so many, like interesting cool different ways that people be killed and i mean on that level i'm not talking about the level of difficulty or execution like that i'm just more or less talking about the content you know of it and i'm just saying it's a lot easier to come up with shit when you just gotta draw it that's all i'm saying but no it did it does have good action pieces in it 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 does well some of the aspects do get a little bit repetitive to me when they start getting repetitive, they'll throw in something unique that kind of, you know, reignites the spark when it comes to that stuff. You know, they'll, you know, Trevor and Cypher might be doing their, oh, I'm going to whip some shit and I'm going to like throw fireballs and icicles at shit. But then they'll do that crazy action sequence with uh, Isaac in that town when there's all those people trying to take him and then they make that ball a snake of people thing that's just attacking him the whole way that was crazy you know so they like i said they were kind of you know going through some standard fare again and i'm like okay okay and then they add that to it like inter intermingled into it and i'm like okay that's good like it 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 changes the pace and it changes the the visual dichotomy of what you're used to seeing with some of that stuff to where it, it like i said it reignites the spark when they do things like that and that is one thing that this show was good at was kind of you know, reigniting itself when it needed to. You know, when the flame would start getting a little low, they'd throw some logs on there. And 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 to me, that, that shows kind of how smart this show can be because, like I said, from watching something like Dragon Ball Z back in the day, fuck, that would get tiresome, dude. That shit was like a fucking soap opera. I could miss like <laughs> eight episodes and it would be like five minutes later in the fight because they would just do some shit, do some shit, do some shit. Then they would stand it and stare at each other while their power levels would, you know, increase for like 97 hours and then just do some more of the same shit. Like, I am so glad in this. I didn't have to watch somebody throw like 97,000 punches in the span of like two seconds. And the person just expertly dodge all of them. I was so glad yeah. I didn't have to see that. Cause that is one of the things I'm the most tired of fucking witnessing ever. Just like, Oh, uh, pretty much what I'm saying is I hate dragon ball Z. And all its iterations. Because, oh man, that is some fucking monotonous soap opera bullshit. It's not even fun soap opera shit. Like our our soap operas or a telenovela where, you know, people die in plane crashes and then all of a sudden they come back to life. And they, you know, they're actually somebody's father now and like all this other shit. That's fucking great. Like, <laughs> sign me up for that shit. I don't want to see that shit though where 
you know, and the reason why I call it a soap opera with Dragon Ball Z is like a soap opera is notorious where you can like miss a ton of episodes. And then when you, when you're finally able to watch another one, it didn't really feel like much time has passed. Like, that's what I mean. That Dragon Ball Z is like a soap opera. I feel like you could not watch Dragon Ball Z for a year. And then the time in the show, eight minutes have passed and you missed a whole year of episodes. Cause that's how kind of how I feel about soap operas. Like back in the day when you were a kid in like summer break, if you would ever, cause I would, for whatever reason, watch soap operas when I was a kid during summer. And it was always crazy how like I could not watch it for like nine months. And I was, it was so easy to catch back up because not much time would have actually passed in the show. Fucking bonkers. I love it. Anyway, I digress. Um, no, but you made a good point, like too there about the fighting and stuff like that and about just how they would always kind of add these interesting elements. Or like you said, the whole dodging a thousand punches or I absorb a thousand punches and then we stand there and look at each other. I do like how, yeah, we've come a long way from that. And what was cool, like, like for instance, just to throw an example out there, the fight with Alucard and Trevor that was cool because it starts off and yeah, they were, they were dodging each other's attacks and stuff, but it starts off as, you know, Trevor kind of keeping Alucard at a distance and he was having trouble. He couldn't get to Trevor. So Trevor was knocking him around with that whip and he was trying to get in. He couldn't. And so he had to kind of like all of this happened in the fight. He had to kind of get rid of that whip. He had to find a way to kind of get that whip out of uh, Trevor's hands. And then when the fight became up close, Alucard had the advantage. So even in that fight right there, you saw the strategy, you saw how, um, how each person likes to fight. And there was a contrast in how they were fighting and what each fighter had to do. You know, there was actually strategy used by Alucard to get that whip out of Trevor's hands. So even that fight, uh, had elements like that. Uh, but, but the person that I love seeing, like fight the most though I think was Cypher I love some of the shit they did with her like when she like in season three when she had the whole ice barrier kind of thing around uh um I want to say it was around Saint or whatever it was yeah I think it was yeah, St. Germain, and then when that uh, night creature tries to reach in there, she shuts two of them and it cuts his hand off. Or like I was saying earlier with my recommendation, when she's fighting that vampire lady, uh, the, the, the Japanese one, and, you know, she makes that ice wall and then the, the vampire jumps on top of it and starts running down it. So then she, uh, you know, sends it, upward and it just splits her in half she had a lot of great just creative kills and uses her fight you know or using the flames to kind of propel herself in the air she's just really cool man i i just thought they did a great job with her well going back to a little bit before that i guess the best thing about these fight sequences is they all had a sense of urgency like they all felt like these fights needed to happen then and they were happening then, like the the totality of the fight was going to happen. Whereas, and I, I promise I'll stop beating a dead horse when it comes to Dragon Ball Z. But where Dragon Ball Z, they'll fight for a little while, then they stand there. And then it's just people narrating them standing there. And them, them having inner thoughts of standing there. I'm like, how many fucking like coffee breaks do you have during a fucking fight? Like, whereas in this, 
these fights are happening. There's urgency. There's no, oh, let me, you know, let's stand here while we both recuperate real quick. And so other people can tell the story of what's going on, you know, like they just, they keep going and going until the fight's over, you know, there's urgency to it. There's a totality yeah. to it. Yeah. I there's a, that. there's a realism to a, of a, you know, Dragon Ball Z is like a boxing match. Like they have rounds. There's no rounds in this. This is just a fucking fight because they're, they're all fights to the death. That's the thing is they're all fights to the death with the exception of the Alucard Trevor fight. Which, as far as Trevor was concerned, was a fight to the death. He didn't know what Alucard's plan was. Yeah. So to Trevor, it was a fight to the death, you know. So I, I, I like that they stayed true to that. And it, it does make it more compelling when you really do feel like there are stakes in this. I thought there was a shot that Cypher was going to die in Season 3. I, I'm, I'm glad she didn't. But I thought there was a chance. Just the up the stakes. And the fact that I felt like that was a real possibility kind of shows that this story is kind of handling it right. It's not necessarily going Game of Thrones or, you know, to that level of, or like Walking Dead where they'll just kill somebody, you know. But the fact that I felt like it was a real possibility that she might die shows that this show feels like it does have stakes. Even if I was just artificially creating them in my head. The fact that it was able to give that to me was more so than, you know, what you would normally expect from a show. I get some of that. I get some of that, especially like uh, just some of the conversations that Trevor was having about her or about how she had come in and kind of changed his life and gave him a sense of purpose and perspective and kind of was helping him more than maybe he likes to lead on because he's too cool for school or whatever. I get that. I, I definitely get that. And you can just tell that, like you said, I just love their dynamic because, uh, you know, she is just a breath of fresh air for him and everything like that. And then she's a smart ass enough to deal with his quips and his wisecracks and everything. And the whole and she's you know, he just kind of seems like he's just so jaded from how people have treated the Belmonts. And he's so just he hates the routine of just, Oh, slaying these, slaying these demons, slaying vampires, this, that, and the other. You can just tell that he's kind of, you know, he's just kind of sick of it. That's what his family's always done, you know? So you can kind of, you just, you just feel that in him, the way he talks, the way he presents it. But I did like the end of their story after the whole thing with the priest happened. And one of the, my favorite lines was, they're on the they're on their way out of town and she's like man you know she's she, you know Cyphus reflecting on the priest and that revelation of finding out that he was just a shitty person and then she's kind of down because i mean it was just a downer you know it all just ended on a downer they were trying to bring dream bring dracula back they they kind of like saint germain he's gone now and then you find out the priest who you thought was a good leader of this town was a motherfucker. So she's down. And then he goes like, Oh man, I wish I remembered the line exactly, but it was that line where she, he was like, see you, you know, you're, we, we lived in your world with all these adventures and helping people and stuff like that. But that, but what you're feeling right now, this is my world. And man, that was just such a great line and sense of perspective 
for why he is the way he is. Whatever I do, whether I'm killing monsters or whether I'm vampire hunting, it doesn't matter what good you do. People are still shitty and they're still shitty people. And what problem are you really solving? And I, I just thought that was great, man. And that was just a great like realization of their dynamic and I think she understood a little bit more why Trevor is the way he is you know yeah I like that because it it, it kind of shows that while she's had a big influence on uh him he's also had an influence on her mm-hmm. you know and and it makes it feel like a, a more realistic re- relationship you know because nine times out of ten in a show like this you're just gonna have the brooding jaded person like Trevor just be softened by her. Yeah. And you're not going to have her be changed by him. And it's not that they're being changed. It's just, you know, they're understanding each other better. You know, like you said, yeah. by experiencing that bit with the judge that does, I guess, show her that like, yeah, this is more what it's like in my world. Like, yeah, we fight monsters and all this other stuff, but I've also been, you know, beaten down by humans too. And the, their capacity for evil especially when it comes yeah. to historically with this family. Yeah. And so it's just like you said, he's rubbing off on her too. That showed her that there is some truth to what, to how he feels, you know, his feelings. Some of them, you may not agree with all of how he feels, but some of his feelings are justified. So yeah, like you said, and you're right. I didn't even think about that, but that makes me appreciate it more. The cliche thing, like you said, is just to have this jade, this softer person rub off on this jaded person. And rarely do they say both people's attitudes have a place. So yeah, you're right about that. Good call. All right, Justin, any final thoughts on Castlevania? Now nah, I'm good. Let's whip it on out of here and take it home. All right. Just so you know, after this, We'll probably do an episode now after season four comes out. But as an announcement, just so you guys know, uh, episode two of the Can We Make Sterling Like Anime series will be season one of a show called Killing Bites, which is on Amazon Prime. And uh, spoiler alert, and I will go into vastly more detail when we do this. I didn't like it and, and find out why whenever we you know do it. But just a little <laughs> preview. Didn't like it. And like I said, it is... The epitome of everything I don't like about anime. And the fact that people who I have talked about why I don't like anime too, went, you should give Killing Bites a chance. Why they thought that makes me seriously want, like concerned for them mentally. Like their mental health. Because everything about it is the exact reason why I have serious issues with anime. But like I said, find out why. Go watch the show. Find out why. And then... You'll hear me and Justin talk about it, and I can't wait till he watches it because holy fuck, is it a thing? So, man, uh, I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> so, keep a lookout for that, guys. Um, especially because we're going to be trying to do several things, you know, because quarantines and stay at home orders and all that shit. So, you know, things that people can stream and we can do episodes on. That's what we're going to be doing a lot of, and that and just random fucking topics, you know, movie and TV related. You know, just to give you guys something to look forward to and give us something to look forward to uh, during these crazy fucking times we live in right now. And so other than that, guys, check us out on the internet, www.cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, on Facebook, we're Cinema Slayers Podcast. On Twitter and Instagram, we're Cinema underscore Slayers. Uh, like I said, send us recommendations. But if you're sending us a show, if it's not just like a one season or a mini series or a movie, 
you have to tell me what season because otherwise I will default to season one. And if that's the worst season of a show, that's what I'm going to watch unless you tell me otherwise. So tell me what season you want to watch and see if you can give me all these things because maybe you'll make me watch something and I'll go, man, that was actually kind of interesting. I'm going to go back and watch the other seasons now. Who knows? I'm, I'm open to playing this game to try to open my horizons because maybe I just haven't been exposed to the right things. And maybe the shitty things I was exposed to just jaded me and I wasn't able to move past that. So the whole purpose of this is to expand my horizons and to see, you know, what can, you know, maybe change my mind on this. You know, like I said, Justin kind of cheated on this, but it's a good example because I didn't hate this at all, except for the second to last episode of season three. Fuck. Like, I really can't tell you how much that bummed me out. But, I mean, for the most part, I really did enjoy Castlevania. So, you know, that's that's the first in. You know what I mean? That's, that's I guess, a win for, you know, anime fans that I, I did enjoy this. I'm going to watch season four when it comes out, you know? Because this was an ex- extremely easy show to watch. I watched the entirety of all three seasons, 22 episodes, at like 20-something minutes each. I watched them all in one day. So I watched roughly 11 hours of shit in one day for this because it was very good. It was just very easy to watch. Unlike the next day when I watched Tiger King and that like what I think that's seven and a half hours of content. And it took me all day to watch that because I gave zero fucks. (laughs) God, I hated that so much. It was such a fucking chore. I would I would start episodes and realize that I was actively on my phone giving zero fucks to the show would have to go start episodes back over again i couldn't wait for things to pop up to give me a reason to pause that show to go just do dishes instead of keep watching tiger king but i watched it all i did actually watch it all so when you listen to that episode yes i did watch it all it just took me all day to watch seven and a half hours where with this like i was you know i'd watch stuff and i'm like oh i need to go get food so i'd pause it i'd go get food and come back like i wanted to come back to continue this you know this was an easy 11 hours to watch. Tiger King was one of the hardest seven and a half hour things I've ever done in my life. Oh, man. But yes, this was this was an extremely watch. So, uh, or extremely easy watch. So I, yeah, I, you know, this was a good start, at least for people that enjoy anime. This is a good start. Hey, and maybe you're like me and you don't like anime. I would suggest giving Castlevania a chance because it's, it's different. It's got a different feel to it. And I, you know, it might be a good in. It might be a good starter piece outside of, you know, Studio Ghibli or Akira. Like, yes, those classics, of course. I think anybody can watch that. I mean, I was a huge uh, Princess Mononoke fan as a kid, and I still am. I love that movie so much. And it's good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, no, like, as soon as the Studio Ghibli shit uh, went uh, on iTunes, I bought that the first day they came out and watched it that day because I really loved that movie. Um so yeah, and I think we might end up having to do an episode on Studio Studio Ghibli, Justin. Uh, just in general, that would be great. That would be great. I'd love to do that. Like not talking about one movie specifically, just talking about in general Studio Ghibli shit. I think that'd be a fun episode. Uh, so anyway, yes. Uh, let us know what you think. Like, let us know if there's anything you wanna you think I should watch to change my mind. Let us know what you thought about Castlevania. Let us know about any of the shit that we've watched and what you think about it. And uh, on that note, uh, remember, guys, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the Best Picture winner. Do. Do hast. Do hast, Mr. Frog. 
Du hast mich defragt, du hast mich defragt, und ich hab dich gesagt. I don't remember a lot of German, but I don't think you said actual words in some of that. I don't think I did either. I tried my best. But phonetically, it sounded right. <laughs> At least the made-up words you said sounded German-ish. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'm stopping. <laughs>